Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we're getting into part two of We Agnostic, starting on page 47 today. And today we're going to get into something that opens up with a great line. It says, there was great news. That was great news to us, for we had assumed we could not make use of spiritual principles. So that's really what we're going to talk about today. How do we accept some of these spiritual principles? And, you know, what is it that we're actually going to do next? We've gone over in the first part of We Agnostics that it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, doesn't matter if you're agnostic or think that there's no evidence of God, doesn't matter if you're this religion or that religion or this spiritual path or that. None of that plays into it right now. That a creative intelligence or a spirit of the universe that we're calling God, you're going to come to know this. And the only thing required, the only thing you got to do the things that are indispensable in this effort are not faith, doctrine, dogma, religion, some set of rules, but honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Willingness, underscore willingness, put a comma, put willingness again, willingness to see that something's going to come of this. And what we're looking for, what the spiritual experience is defined as in We Agnostics is a change in attitude towards life. And he suggested that other people will often notice this first. And some of us have this experience very, very immediately upon a certain spiritual action or sometimes spontaneously. And then others get it through something called the volitional method or through education and time. As, as we expose ourselves to practicing these principles, we will find that that change in attitude sufficient to change our personality for recovery has happened. So as we start off here on page 47, we get this. That was great news to us. And that great news is that it has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. And that simple cornerstone is the willingness to give these things a try and see if you don't believe that they work, right? Judge it by its results. That was great news to us, for we had assumed we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith, faith which seemed difficult to believe. When people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has. I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believes, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. So it was comforting to learn that we could commence at a simpler level, meaning willingness. All we got to be is willing. Besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. So somebody brings up God, or somebody says something like Allah, or Jesus, or Buddha, in a meeting, and you're like, oh, I can't believe they said it. Ooh, that's not allowed here. We don't have that kind of junk going on here. And you just get all worked up, right? You become sensitive and unreasoning, and your prejudice shows in your own mind. Just keep in mind that his higher power, the power greater than himself or herself, the power that's going to solve their problem is up to them. It's up to them. It's not up to you. And they're just expressing their version of this idea. And that's exactly the purpose of this book is to help you develop your version of that idea. So he goes on. Many of us have been so 
touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things make us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. What? Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. I just want to revisit this again for you. It says, The seeking of a spiritual solution, the understanding of a higher power, is assisted by the bludgeoning of ourselves with alcohol that beating our own selves into a place of incomprehensible demoralization, or what you'll frequently hear as the gift of desperation, is good for this. (laughs) At least for this, right? In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader, right? You've been trying to control it, you can't. But perhaps you're on day four or five of coming to AA and you're new to this, and you can't remember the last time you put four or five days together. Maybe you're on your second year and you know you've never done that and you, you can't put a finger on how that was other than you did what this said and it rendered the results. It finally, you know, alcohol finally beat the, all of us into a state of reasonableness. In other words, to fight all this, to bring those things to it that are, you know, sensitive, unreasoned and prejudiced, to finally be beaten into a state of reasonableness is a good thing. Sometimes this was a tedious process. Oh, sure it was. I mean, I wanted to argue like crazy. I I didn't want any part of this spiritual program when I first got there. I just wanted to quit drinking and get on with my life. They were trying to say, we hope you don't have to go through that. And you don't. You can choose right now just to assume that this is true. Not faith, not a belief structure, not a dogma, not a creed. Just assume it's true and go forward with the program. So Bill goes on, the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. Let us have a look at some of them. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, There is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence. So another definition of God, right? All-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence, 
Right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. In other words, why are you even here? And if your relationships don't matter, if it just doesn't make any difference, why are you so beaten? What was incomprehensibly demoralized if none of it matters? Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all. Rather vain of us, wasn't it? We, who have traveled this dubious path, beg you, beg you, no less than beg you, to lay aside prejudice like you're begging somebody to not jump off a bridge. Beg you, all right? That, that's the depth of this. We beg of you to set aside your prejudice even against organized religion. We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions, billions really. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually. We, alcoholics, used to have no reasonable conception whatever. We went around life being destructive. We lied, cheated, and stealed to get our way. We deceived people so we could drink. We hid our liquor. We told lies about money. Some of us have infidelity in our relationships. We did not give our time, attention, love, and care to the people that wanted it so desperately bad. We didn't put other people first. We had no idea of how to do it. We would think to do it and then not do it. We would make commitments and we would fail to keep them. We had no reasonable conception whatever of what these people in religion may have been talking about. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability. Does that sound familiar? Anybody, any alcoholics were, had drinking stability? Happiness, who is the happy drinker, <laughs> right? And usefulness, to who? Certainly not to the people that love us. Wow, right? All were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of wholesale condemnation. Think about that. Me, the dishonest alcoholic, talking about someone else's faults in order to justify my position in life. I mean, that's part of the insanity that we've already talked about in other chapters, right? We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. So your opinion of this? is yours, and it is to perhaps stay that way, experience has taught us that these are matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. 
They are questions for each individual to settle for himself or themselves. So there's an important part of this, and I just want to go back to it for a second. And it talks about this idea of intolerance as if there's the atheist agnostic person and he's looking at the religious person and he's intolerant. But you know where you'll find a lot more of that sometimes is from the religious person against all other religious people. That they have the right brand and the right dude and the right book and the right building and the right stuff and the right history. And therefore, they're right. So that same thing, bigotry, the word bigotry means intolerant of other people's views. And what we don't want to be is a bigot. We want to be open to all of their views. We don't have to believe what they believe. We don't have to follow a religious path. It's important that we accept them and their spiritual experience on face value and nothing else. It's particularly true for me when I was a newcomer that I would knock in my mind the people sitting with 5, 10, 20 years of sobriety that had religion in their life. And here I am, you know, 25 days sober, right? I have no idea what I'm talking about. So Bill goes on. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. This is where we come together. Every one of them has gained access to and believe in a power greater than himself. This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude towards that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking, what he referred to as attitude, the way they think and act, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, wow, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life, heavy going of life, that they've taken this AA way of life very seriously. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory while they were drinking, right? They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. And philosophically here, for those that like that kind of stuff, what he's talking about is considered the problem of experience. How do I argue with experience? Notice in AA, we don't share our faith, theology, and doctrine. We share our experience strength, and hope. Experience, strength, and hope. It's so important. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. 
In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought a round earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. We asked ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proven man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story and airplane travel was in full swing. So think about it, right? This is us. We're the, we're the guys that are like, can't be done. I can't quit drinking. I can't get my life back. My wife's gone forever. My kids hate me. I've ruined my career. I've got this or that going on. I can't afford it. I'm going to, you know, it just goes on and on, right? It tells us that we create astonishingly difficult problems in the doctor's opinion, right? And I, I think that's true. There is a way out and you've discovered it here. And all it requires of you is a willingness to do the things these people that claim that God basically brought recovery to them, to just do those things. And we believe that you'll get that result. So it goes on, we're just about finished here, but he goes on, he says, but in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation in thinking. Show any longshoreman a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he will say, I'll bet they do it, maybe not so long either, and it would be, you know, less than 40 years later that that exact thing happens that man walks on the moon. Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new, which does? Think about your phone, right? Every two years, somehow you need a new one. <laughs> I don't know if that's true of you, but when the new phone comes out, suddenly yours is like the old and inferior. If there's anything that really bothers me, it's that idea of new and improved, right? Because that means this organization has been selling me old and, and inferior for some time. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. We're going to stop there. So what we've covered today is really important. For whatever reason, Bill W. wanted to lay out these arguments, some of its philosophy, some of its sort of science and philosophy, a little bit of it has to do with religion, but there's this other thing and it's above all that. And that is that this power greater than yourself is going to be something you get to define. So for today's discussion, and this is particularly true if you're a newcomer, that you just sort of sit back and maybe if you're going to share anything, you know, invite the question in. How did you go about it? What was that spiritual experience like? What was it like the day that you noticed that your attitude towards life 
had changed. What did you think of God when you got here was the first part of We Agnostics. And what we're going to do is move to hearing about what do you think of God now? Are you willing to drop down your prejudice? Are you willing to live with that sensitiveness? Are you willing to become useful to your fellow man? And that's really what this is all about here today. So for your discussion today, I hope that you think about and talk about the change of attitude that this chapter says is necessary in order to achieve sobriety and maybe even outwardly proclaim, hear your own voice say, I am willing to do this. Or if you have a belief that you do believe in God and that God, this belief in God has rendered this life that was promised, you know, how did the cause and effect work in your life? And if you've been around a little while practicing the principles of AA, it'd be fantastic to hear from you how this has changed your life. Would you give up today's life for your old life? I'll bet not. I hope you guys have a great discussion.